Thanks for joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians. In this letter, we get a thorough view of God's cosmic plan of reconciliation and reunification in Jesus Christ. Its truths are vital to the Christian's understanding of personhood and the church. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in Him. Turn to the book of Ephesians. I don't know why my brain thinks this way, but uh, all growing up, whenever I'd hear someone say Ephesians, like turn to the book of Ephesians, I would think of like the book of Ephistics. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I know it's it's ridiculous thought. I realize that. Like it's a little place where everyone's by the sea and they eat those little breaded rectangular fish things. Yeah, weird, but that's what I think of. Um, just wanted to share that with you and derail us right from the beginning. Uh, so you can think about that the rest of the morning. Before we begin, um, I'm not naive in thinking that this was a great week for everybody, uh, that we all don't come with, uh, some of you don't really even want to be here. I know that. It's okay. Um, doesn't hurt my feelings. But even as we do this, we actually worship our God by faith, being reoriented by his word to worship and love him. Some of that worship is simply confession. Some of that worship is you recognizing that you're dead and you need a Savior. Some of you knowing you have a Savior in Jesus Christ, but you live a terrible week, not depending on him, loving yourself, finding pleasure in stupid things, not doing anything that's of eternal value. We come together to the foot of the cross and we receive mercy. Not because we deserve it. Man, we don't deserve it because our God is gracious and kind and loving. And it's his will that we would come to him and find joy and peace in Jesus Christ. And so we enjoy this time together around the word. And we, no doubt, worship together while we look at his word together. Dear Father, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and so that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints over all time, over all the world, where's the breadth and length and height and depth and that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Our natural eyes cannot see it, Lord, but we ask that you would show us Lord, we ask that you would fill your people with the fullness of God. Lord, we need you to work in us, and we trust you to do so. So let us worship you in the beauty of holiness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You and I need to hear the book of Ephesians preached. We need to read it, we need to think about it, we need to apply it to our lives. We need to sit underneath Paul's preaching and hear this. We need to hear Paul loud and clear in 2020. His message is relevant, not only for the initial hearers, but for us today here in Virginia Beach, for the church who is still in uh, unconsummated history. In other words, uh, for all of us who have not yet experienced the new heavens and the new earth, this is for us. It's very helpful. Paul is enlightening the whole church as to what God has done, what he is doing right now, and what he will do in the future. Over the next couple months, what we're going to try to do is work our way through the book, learning about who God is, learning actually about ourselves, 
and about what is God doing in the world and his plan. And in that process, it is one of my prayers that we would come to Ephesians not as a theological treatise. We come like this is where we find some of our core doctrines and that's why we turn here. Or the opposite, that we wouldn't come here only to get the good Bible rules of how we're supposed to live. Because make no mistake, it's very easy to go to one side or the other. As we start reading, you're going to see it probably you're going to find yourself drawn to one side of the book or the other. Because they're kind of split, and you'll understand what I mean by that in a minute. Oftentimes, we come to Scripture trying to get something from it. And that's right. We should. We kind of come with our own questions about it. We kind of say, okay, I have this kind of stuff in my life. It needs to get worked out. So hopefully this book can tell me. If it doesn't be here, maybe I'll flip over here and find it over there. And that can kind of answer some of my questions. That's fine. That's right. We've done that even as we've talked about the church over the last couple months. Understanding what it has to tell us about who we are as the church body. But when we start doing expositional preaching, we have a specific goal. We're trying to understand what Paul is trying to speak to the Ephesians, and actually further than that, to us. We don't want to go to Ephesians and pull the ideas out that we like and kind of, yeah, we agree with the rest, that's good, but we'd rather and we need to hear his words to us for his purposes, what he's trying to do. That is the true intent. And when we can get to that, we will see and allow the Spirit to continually work in us what he desires to, not what we're on board with hearing from the Scriptures. And so as we get into this, one of our prayers as elders and as one another in here together is that we would hear Paul speak to us. Today will be pretty simple. We want to introduce ourselves to the book. I know all good smiles, all those little hiccups are cute, aren't they? You can't, can't, you can't ignore it. It's good. Um, we want to introduce ourselves to the book here in Ephesians. We want to become familiar with some of the content, but then we also want to know how to read through the whole thing as we look at this. Uh, we don't always get to do this, but we are actually going to read the entire book, all six chapters together. And what we're going to do is take, because it's a small enough book, we can hear it in one setting, and it will be profitable for us. So before we do, let me start off with two things. The first thing I want us to look at is this. What kind of writing is it? Who wrote it? And who is it written to? This will kind of get us situated a little bit. The last book we were in, if you remember, was Joshua, as far as an expository preaching sermon series. We went through the book of Joshua. Uh, that's a very different kind of literature, right? That's like uh, theological history telling, a narrative, going through where we were at. It was a very different time period. The people of Israel were coming to the land, out of the land of Egypt through the desert, and Moses had died, and Joshua was now bringing the people into Canaan to conquer and take possession of the promised land that he had given to them. Now looking towards Ephesians, fast forward a couple thousand years, and a lot has happened since then. National Israel has all but disappeared from history, and we find the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And through him, God has finally dealt the death blow to Satan, sin, and death. And through him alone, all peoples can be saved from their sin. Emmanuel, God with us. Through him, all nations can have peace with God and can know full and ultimate joy in Christ. And with the coming of the Comforter, the, the Holy Spirit, the church is birthed in Acts. And the kingdom is open not only to Israel, but to all nations, just like he had said it was going to happen. 
the church begins to grow, starts in Jerusalem, but quickly it spreads to places around the Mediterranean with many of Jesus' disciples taking the commission seriously, making disciples. And onto the scene comes Saul of Tarsus, um, a violent persecutor of the church, literally killing Christians, murdering them. Now, thinking he was doing the right thing by his, all his own standards. This is the person who is making a ruckus in the church because he is destroying it. But we soon realize that God, in his incredible mercy, kindness, and creativity, uses this guy to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to proclaim Christ's gospel, the good news that the Messiah has come, and to spread it throughout so many different Gentile nations. God will uh, knock him down a few notches, literally. Then he will change his name from Saul to Paul. He will train him roughly three years in Arabia, back in Galatians 1, 12, 16, and 17. And then he will use him to spread the gospel and make many disciples for those who his name would go forth, that Jesus Christ's name would be praised, and that people would grow up mature in Christ. This is the work of Paul to many Gentile cities who did not know this God at all. But as some of you know, Paul not only was a preacher and an apostle, he was also an author, a theologian and writer. And what we have here, much of his work is captured in letters that he wrote to different congregations. And if we, if we, we look closer here, we'll start to understand that they were very personal, many to people that he had led to Christ. For instance, he wrote to the churches throughout the area of Galatia. We call this the book of Galatians. Uh, he wrote to the church in Corinth. We know this as First and Second Corinthians. He also wrote to some young pastors like Titus and Timothy. We have Titus. We have First and Second Timothy. These books where he's writing for specific reasons. He also wrote the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a type of letter called an encyclical. Now, why do I say that? What do you mean by an encyclical? In Acts 18, 19, and 20, if you were to look back there, you don't need to right now, you can read about the gospel coming to Ephesus, and you can see how believers were discipled and many people were able to grow throughout the area and trust Jesus Christ. Paul spent roughly two or three years there, and the gospel message went forth with boldness. And by the end of chapter 20, there's this very sweet time where he is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And they're weeping together, and they say goodbye because they know they will not see their brother who has taught them so much. It's a wonderful little scene. Paul knew the Ephesian believers well. He knew them. But as you'll notice today, if you read through Ephesians, we get almost zero interaction with personal stuff. He doesn't talk about people he knows. He doesn't talk about elders and what they should be doing. He, there's like almost no reason that like you would, you would expect him to talk about someone he knows, especially after this warm, loving parting from these Ephesian uh, elders. He doesn't mention their names or any specific opponents that they're dealing with. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any problems that Paul is addressing that he needs to correct. The truth is, there really isn't a situation that makes Paul write this letter to the Ephesians from what we know in the book. In fact, I'll give you one more little piece here. Some of the earliest manuscripts that we have are copies of the original Greek letter that Paul would have sent. Some of those original manuscripts do not have the word Ephesians in them. 
Now, why do I say all that? This is somewhat strange, all these different pieces together, though. I'm not saying anything crazy here. I think it's helpful for us to think about what would have happened along the way. Why is this true? It seems to us that the best way to understand this is that Ephesians is an encyclical that was written by Paul, most likely from prison around 60 AD while he's in prison there in Rome. That means it's a letter that Paul wrote in a different way than he wrote Titus or Corinthians. The encyclical has a little bit of a different scope. It was very important. It's apostolic teaching, but it's far more general. It's made just not for one group of people, the Corinthians, where you can tell, hey, make sure these two people stop fighting. He's doing far more general, not to one specific group, but to more people than that. It would be more general, so many different audiences could have benefited from it. And this kind of letter would be sent to a church, and it would be copied, and then it would be sent to another church. And then it would be there, it would be copied again very, very carefully, and then it would be sent on to another church, and so on and so forth, so that it could benefit the wider church throughout this region. Um, This seems to be the best understanding of what is going on in Ephesians. Now, we don't know the details, but if you had to, we had to make a guess, we'd say that Paul wrote this letter, this encyclical, and it was sent to Ephesus by his delivering emissary, Tychicus. You'll see his name pop up at the end of the letter. Uh, This helps us kind of account, though, for why there's this impersonal nature to this type of a letter. It's a wonderful, glorious, magisterial letter, but it seems to lack some of the personal stuff that we normally see from Paul when he's addressing people he knows. The book of Ephesians is a letter, an encyclical, written by Paul, probably to the church of Ephesus, but also to many other churches in the area that needed to hear the message that Paul was proclaiming. Now, next week, we will start into verse 1 and 2, the the, the greeting right away. Then we're going to spend some serious time asking the question, what is Paul's purpose in writing this whole book? I mean, if there wasn't any specific problem, or he doesn't know exactly who he's writing to, well, that's not true, but you know what I mean. Like, he doesn't have one specific audience in mind. Why does he think it's important enough to write this letter? We will delve into that purpose idea next week. Uh, this will help us kind of walk through the book as a unit instead of seeing it as like chapter one, it deals with this, chapter two deals with this, chapter three, like all different things. We're going to see that it's all bound together for one specific purpose and it will help us keep that together as we walk through the book of Ephesians. So that kind of covers what the writing style is. Again, it's encyclical. Who wrote it and who it is written to. Uh, The second thing I want to point out is the structure of the book. Now, that sounds like a real boring academic thing, but I I think it will be very helpful for us as we sit down to read this book. It's really simple. There's two, but beginning and ending, they're very simple. In verses, chapter one, verse one and two, you have like that opening greeting. Then if you look at the end of the book in chapter six, verses 21 through 24, it's kind of like a closing greeting, kind of a goodbye in one kind of a sense. The rest of the book, which is the majority, is split up into two areas, that's it. Chapters one through three, chapter four through six, basically. It's split right down the middle. It's like one of the easiest ones to consider. Um, Chapters one through three is a heavy theological benediction. It's a praise to God for all that he has done in redeeming his people in Jesus Christ specifically. It helps us to see, if I can kind of think about this for a minute, it helps us see behind the curtain what's actually going on, what God has been doing in history And now what that makes us as a people, that means he's currently doing something. Maybe we can't see it with our natural eyes. And what he will do. 
So chapters 1 through 3 are doing this. Then chapter 4 through 6 is an exhortation or a, a call to action for the church to live in light of the truth we just learned in chapter 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3 is a, a lot of truth that's proclaimed. It's a lot of indicative statements, truths that tell us who we are, where we're from, who God is, etc. And then chapters 4 through 6 are full of commands or imperatives telling us, do this now, or this is the way that you ought to act. Go and do this or that. It's telling us how to live in light of what he just told us was true about our identity and about our God. So this is really a helpful structure as we go through and think this through. And I think you'll actually enjoy it because you're going to see yourself saying, oh, this seems very heavy theological. Oh, this is very practical. And you're going to see yourself probably be drawn to one or the other. It just seems easier to understand or easier to do or to just believe. But Paul rightly puts these things together for us, the church, who need to hear both of these things. They're incredibly important to us. So, Lastly, before we start reading, I want to encourage you, this will be difficult, I want to encourage you to try to listen well. This is important. These are not my words. These are the words of Paul to these. These are spirit-inspired words, God-inspired words, not only for the Ephesians, not only for those areas around the Mediterranean, but for us today. So I'd encourage you to listen well. Uh, This is a very different type of sermon because normally I try to get one main point from what the text is saying, and we're trying to ride that all the way out and understand how it works out in our own lives. As we read the book of Ephesians, you're going to be hit with this thing and that thing and another thing. And there's a lot going on. But I want you to listen carefully and hear what Paul has to say to us. Some of us have never read through the book of Ephesians. And that's okay. This is a great opportunity for us to do that, to hear it all in one shot. So listen carefully. It's a wonderful opportunity. Others of us have read it maybe several times. Regardless, this is going to be very helpful. It helps us to understand the big picture. I want to encourage us to sit with open ears, open eyes, understanding what the Spirit would be working in our own hearts. So as we do so, I'd ask you to consider these things and work together uh, to listen well. One last thing. This is just a suggestion. You don't have to do this. And this is maybe strange for a pastor to say. I'd like to ask you to consider closing your Bibles for a minute to hear as though it was a letter that we were receiving and that someone is actually going to speak it to us and so that we would be listening and hanging on these words. You don't have to do that. Maybe it's good for you to take notes if you're a kinesthetic learner, if you want to pace or talk, that's that's fine. But I think it's better also for us to realize this is how most likely each church would have received it, to hear the word, in a sense, read or preached to them through this medium. So as we do so, I want you to take thought Follow the argument. Understand what Paul is saying to us and glean from it as much as we can. So, with receptive hearts and open ears, let's hear the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.1. And I'll do my best to be as exciting as possible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you actually in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you, now let's talk about us, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We are carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves. I can feel like a rise coming up. You ready? Here it comes. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus you get that? We're seated with him in heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, guys. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, guys, we're no longer strangers and aliens but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you get that? We're a dwelling place? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation, as I have briefly written, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. What's this mystery? Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, for our generation, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, man, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm not making this up. Paul wrote this to us. I'm going to read that again. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Any other directions, Paul? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That was one through three.
Get ready for the next. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Not to create, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here we go. What did he give? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is worked properly, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to participate or practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, the true image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity of covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. 
Let there no be filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let us be characterized by thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers, partners with them. For at one time you were dark, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose those things. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Because that says, addressing one another, we did this this morning, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, listen up. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am actually saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you have his own wife for himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering the service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or if he is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Here's his final greetings. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Sounds like Paul's doing pretty good. Uh, in 1918, Helen Lemel published a hymn that finds us as Christians in the midst of struggle, whether it's with suffering or sin. And these words have been in my, in my head all week long. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness that you can see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. You know the, the chorus, they're just to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The book of Ephesians is a masterful work on the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In it, he shines brightly. Through it, we find that God is working on a grand scale. He even says it, on a cosmic scale. We are one beautiful piece of the work that he is doing. We are actually a piece that proves that God will unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So this morning, we have to recognize for us who trust Jesus Christ, the Savior, because his work to redeem our sinful souls has proven that God is able to overcome all evil, to win the day against the terrible curse, the sadness, the pain, and every evil power. So I just remind you, do not lose hope, brother or sister. Our God has taken dead Gentile rebels and he's made them alive fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All praise be to Jesus Christ, our King. Let's pray. God, we ask that even our service and our worship this morning, as feeble as it is, would be to the praise of your glory. That the naming of Jesus Christ in our midst would that which 
echoes around the universe in a sense, Lord, to your praise and honor and glory. We are weak. Lord, we rely completely on you. And so we pray. We call out in faith knowing that only you can do this work and trusting that these things are true, that you will do these things, Lord, for your honor and glory. We ask that you would teach us to obey. You'd give us soft hearts. You'd make us more like the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great grace to us. We, we, we love it. We're so thankful, God. And we pray that we would therefore be able to live in light of it uh, for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.